It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Coming up on DTNS, Uber and Lyft share lists of blocked drivers. Allison brings us some highlights from the CSUN Assistive Technology Conference. And is Netflix cracking down on password sharing? This is the Daily Tech News for Friday, March 12th, 2021 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Redwood, where it's my mother's birthday, I'm Sarah Lane. From Columbus, Ohio, I'm Rob Dunwood. And I'm Allison Sheridan from the Podfeet Podcast. And I'm the show's producer, Roger Chang. Uh, We were just having a good old time uh, talking on Good Day Internet about all kinds of things, including... Uh, the reason that Sarah's gate conspired against her. It was a Gates conspiracy. Well, just one gate uh, in this this case. If you want that story and a whole lot more, uh, including some smart home discussion, get a membership at patreon.com slash DTNS and get good day internet. Disney World announced you will have the option of replacing its Magic Band wristband with a magic mobile service that works with your phone or your watch. You'll create a pass in the My Disney Experience app and add it to your wallet. The Magic Mobile service will launch first on iPhone and Apple Watch later this year. According to new data from IDC, China's Transons suite of brands, Transon is T-R-I-A-N-S-S-I-O-N, and the brands include Techno, Infinix, and Itel, have a 48.2% share of the African smartphone market, well ahead of Samsung, which is in second place at 16%. Although African mobile phone sales increased by 4.6% in Q4 from the previous quarter, 2020 sales overall were down 10%. Transon invests in or has operational shares in several apps and services, including music streaming service Boomplay, social video app Vskit, and money manager PalmPay. As Google faces out support for third-party cookies, it outlined how it's expanding the functionality of the Publisher Provide Identifier, or PPID, and Google Ad Manager to run personalized ads using first-party data. Publishers would create a unique ID for users using logins or first-party cookies, which would then be input into Google Ad Manager for privacy hashing, 
then passed on to buyers. Google is in the early process of automating parts for the PPID process for small publishers. The United States amended the licenses that it's given to companies to let them get around restrictions on supplying parts to Huawei. Uh, These licenses are now more strict. They increased restrictions on selling items used to make 5G devices. The amendment brings earlier more permissive licenses that were issued in 2019 in line with later, more restrictive ones that were issued toward the end of last year. China's Ant Group confirmed that CEO Simon Hu resigned for personal reasons, with chairman Eric Jing taking over as CEO effective immediately. Hu had served as CEO since December of 2019, previously serving as CEO of Alibaba Cloud Computing. Ant is revamping its business after having to suspend its IPO last November, which was followed by fines in December for failure to properly report business deals. Alibaba received similar fines in December. On Friday, China's state administration for market regulation fined 12 companies, including Tencent and Baidu, 500,000 won each for the same reason. All right. Let's talk about Netflix. Are they really cracking down on the sharing? Well, before we get to Netflix, Tom, uh, there are other companies that are rethinking how we all pay for streaming services. What do you want? How much are you going to pay for it? One way to get more subscribers to a streaming service is to make a cheaper version available, right? Like, sure, why not? HBO Max will launch an ad-supported version of its service in June. We don't know how much it will cost as of yet, but another way to get more subscribers might be to crack down on password sharing, and that's where we get to Netflix, because the company is now testing out ways to detect password sharing. Some users of Netflix on TVs have reported seeing a message when they access their account that says, quote, If you don't live with the owner of this account, you need your own account to keep watching, end quote. They can then choose to verify that they are indeed the owner by receiving a code by email or text message at an address or number associated with the account. Netflix told the streamable of this new move, quote, this test is designed to help ensure that people use Netflix accounts are authorized to do so. Netflix's terms of service doesn't allow accounts to be shared beyond your household. So this isn't Netflix saying, oh, we've we've changed our policies here. This is Netflix just enforcing those policies a little bit differently. The company hasn't seemed that worried about password sharing in the past. You might recall that back in 2016, Netflix CEO Reese Hastings said, password sharing is something that you have to learn to live with because there's so much legitimate password sharing. However, Netflix does limit the number of simultaneous streams to one, two, or four devices, depending on your plan. So the company does care, and it has cared, but it seems like it cares more than ever. Yeah, I don't, I'm still not convinced that they care. Uh, my theory here, because of the way it's being done, and it's a test, and it's very lightweight, and they're not even denying it. They're like, oh, yeah, no, we're, we're just, uh, you know, taking a look at this. I think there's pressure on them from production partners because they partner with movie studios who might be like, you know, you need to stop sharing uh, because they're just so anti-piracy or maybe they want to syndicate stuff and they don't want people to too easily uh, be able to get stuff. Also, investors, some investors in Netflix may have decided that password sharing is depressing the value of Netflix. But Mm. I think Netflix's internal uh, attitude is still the same it's always been, which is 
password sharing happens among people who wouldn't pay for it anyway and is probably as much of a gateway to people paying later when they don't want to go through the hassle of having to keep their password straight with their parents. I'm with you on this one, Tom. You know, I think that um, specifically and particularly because of the reason that you can get past it without having to do anything. I mean, you know, it's going to send you a text message or an email. But even if you don't get the text message or email, you can still bypass it and go watch whatever you want. I don't know that Netflix per se cares all that much. And, you know, and they really don't want to um, you know, harm is probably a strong word, but they, they probably don't want to upset many of their, uh, you know, cu- current customers, because it's kind of like, you know, this was the deal. I, I got this. My kids are grown. They've moved out, but they've been using this for the last 10 years. Now they've got to go, you know, get their own account. Uh, kind of no, if you've never changed your password. So it's, uh, you know, I understand what they're doing because some of their competition is really, I mean, Hulu, for example, it's like, even if it is you, it's difficult to watch Hulu outside of your own house. So mm. I, I see why they're doing it. But like you said, I just don't know that they care all that much. I think they've got a little interesting messaging here. Um, When I started sharing with my two kids, I increased my plan so that I could share with with four people at the same time. It's actually three. So I would be cutting my my plan almost in half if I wasn't able to share with them. So I, I think I misinterpreted that as that was the legitimate way for me to be able to share it with my family. I mean, yes and no. The terms have always said you're not supposed to share outside your household, but Netflix really has relied on the simultaneous streams limit to be the way they monetize right. needing more streams. So I I don't know why. Maybe I'm naive. I just don't think Netflix itself is really into this or, or they would be testing a more robust way to do it. Like you said, Rob, there's a button you can say like, eh, bug me about this later. And then it doesn't even matter. Even if you do it, you can have mom or dad text you the code as thinking. soon as they get it, right? Like this feels like Netflix going through the motions to please someone else. Yeah, I mean, when I first signed up for YouTube TV, which was a few years ago, I lived in L.A. at the time, and a friend of mine had an account, and he was like, oh, I, you can be part of my family plan. I don't mind sharing with you. Like, you know, tell me your Gmail address, whatever. And I was like, that's so cool. Okay, great. And eventually, it worked out. It worked out for a couple months. And eventually, the service was like, wait a second. You don't live in Phoenix, Arizona. No, 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 no. This is not going to work out anymore. And I kind of at that point was like, well, sure. I mean, I don't want to be a freeloader. But I think that, yes, either Netflix itself is like, we could get a lot more subscriptions if we clamp down on this. But more likely, somebody that has high profile content on the service has said, you got to do something about this. Uber and Lyft are partnering with background check company HireRight to share data on drivers who are deactivated for serious offenses like assaults and murder. The two companies will share data as part of the Industry Safe Sharing Project, which is administered by a third party. If a driver commits an offense, it will be shared with the project, and the other company can use it to decide to deactivate the driver on its own platform as well. New drivers on these platforms will also have their name checked against this database. So if I'm understanding this correctly, uh, this is using 
the records of the courts, right? So this is you, you got, you were convicted, you went to court and you were convicted. Uh, and that's how you get your name in this database. So I, I think, you know, if there was concerns about who gets to decide whether it's an assault or not, I think that is the standard if I understand this right. Uh, and then the, this is really a matter of the companies saying, look, we want to cooperate with each other so that someone who is convicted of a crime and gets kicked off our platform uh, doesn't run to you and, try to be on your platform because you don't realize that about them. Yeah. I mean, this is, listen, I mean, if, if somebody has been convicted of all sorts of crimes, it doesn't mean that they're going to commit the same kind of crime again in the future. That's certainly not what we're saying, but I would like to know if I, and I've gone between Uber and Lyft in the past. I mean, I haven't been in either one of those cars in quite some time for obvious reasons, but I would like to know if there was a history of something, I I would like to know it. And I don't care, you know, who I'm, you know, ride hailing from at that time. So yeah, the more, you know, I like, I like the fact that they're, they're going to be talking to each other. I had an employee a couple levels below me who punched his boss in the face and I obviously fired him right away. And we found out like a week later, he was working at our sister company, literally across the quad. They had hired him and nobody had had a conversation. So there you go. And and the background checks part isn't new. Theoretically, Lyft would do a background check and find this out themselves, even if it happened on Uber. Uh, But this this makes it easier. It makes it harder for for somebody to try to get around that. Uh, I see some comments in our chat room. We're like, oh, finally, they're doing background checks. That part isn't new. They've been doing background checks for a while now with these companies. Uh, And as I understand it, Uber and Lyft will let others, other companies join this if they wish, uh, because it's a third party independent system that they set up. Yeah, and I think also it's, it's, you know, murder and assault. I mean, these are pretty, you know, serious charges. It, it isn't someone, you know, was, you know, you know, disorderly conduct or they were, you know, that, you know, or something like that. You got in an argument with someone. This is for, you know, for pretty serious stuff that you were convicted of. I think also the timing of this is once we're, I mean, hey, we're not back to regular life yet. Nobody thinks that, but... I think some people for the first time, myself included in a while, might be like, okay, well, I have to get from point A to point B. Would I maybe take one of these services again? It's been a while. I want to make sure that the person that I'm in the back of the car from who's driving me is is top notch. Well, folks, patents get filed all the time for odd things, and they usually don't predict any kind of actual product from a company, so we don't cover them a lot. Uh, They're usually meant to just make a larger stack of patents for when you get threatened by somebody else. But a patent from Apple is intriguing, and we're going to talk about it today because it could be used to make a MacBook battery life longer without using any new technology. Or it could be used to make MacBooks thinner. We'll, we'll think about that. Back in 2015, Apple started using lithium polymer batteries, or, or more properly, lithium-ion polymer batteries, in their 12-inch MacBooks. The advantage of these so-called pouch batteries is that they're a pouch. They use a gel, not a liquid. So, therefore, they can have a flexible case and can be made in almost any shape. That lets the batteries be used in the available space, meaning it can have more battery, meaning more battery life. They're they're just a little easy to squeeze into what you're doing there. However, 
The sealed edges of the battery pouches do need to be kept away from any other conductive surfaces, and that means you can't just squish them right up against everything because you might be squishing up against something conductive. So they can't use all of the available space. They can use more than the hard-sided lithium-ion batteries that have a liquid, but not as much as they could if they could squish right up against stuff. Well, the solution is this patent. Put the pouches inside rigid enclosures. This prevents the edges of the pouches from touching other components, but you can still have the batteries made in irregular shapes, unlike the previous types of batteries where it was more difficult to make a lot of different shapes because you don't have to encase the liquid. You just have to encase the polymer, which can squish up into the case that you're building for it. Best of both worlds, possibly meaning more battery life because you can squish more battery into the available space or... Apple might decide to just use that to make thinner MacBooks. Allison, which do you think they will do? <laughs> My first thought is, how did they get a patent on something that is basically the way Canadians get milk, right? They get made <laughs> milk in a bag, and then they shove it into a rectangular container that holds it in the right shape. But uh, I'm trying to stick to the technical <laughs> side here. I would really expect that they would go for thinner and lighter, uh, mostly because they've had such massive advances in their power efficiency with the M1 chips. You know, they've, they've got battery life that is just insane. I gave my daughter-in-law or helped give my daughter-in-law a, uh, a MacBook air for Christmas. And in February, she complained to me that she had to charge it, you know? <laughs> so, so they've, they've pretty much cracked the battery problem now from a, from a, you know, power standpoint, yeah. they could afford to go thinner now. So you're saying I'm going to get a paper cut on the next M1 MacBook. <laughs> It won't be the first time, right? Oh, yeah. How thin is too thin? See, I think I was... that 16-inch, man, I want that to be thinner and lighter, Tom. That thing weighs about 150 pounds. I would like it to be thinner and lighter. I don't think it weighs quite that much, but yes, I I I get that the you know the the uh, the thinner and lighter idea is still alive and well. Uh, Rob, what were you going to say? I was going to say that I was hoping for these batteries to look like middle jigsaw puzzle pieces <laughs> um, so that, they, you know, so that once the laptop is, you know, run its life, you can reclaim them and actually make, you know, art out of your battery by, you know, by making a puzzle. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> this, is a, this is a cool patent, though. This is uh, anything that advances this is certainly uh, is certainly awesome, right? Yeah, Maybe it, it'll ca- be... it caught my eye because it seems simple and probably likely to be implemented, right? Versus some other patents where you're like, oh, okay, they just came up with something cool. They may or may not ever use it. And the question is, is, is this technology only available to Apple or are other companies making these types of batteries as well? Or is this just their the, thing? Yeah, good question. This is a the, patent. The lithium polymer technology is available to other companies. The patent on how to squeeze it into the rigid cases is patented by Apple. So uh, they could conceivably stop others from doing it or license it, et cetera. So the lithium polymer batteries are the are the uh, gel ones. The pouches, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's just being able to stick them in a in a yeah, milk the box. method for that is the, yeah. getting more out of them. Hey, folks, okay. if uh, you've got thoughts on this patent, you got thoughts on Netflix password sharing, do not share your passwords in there, but you can go to our Discord, uh, which you can join by linking to a Patreon account at patreon.com slash DTNS. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. 
By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Stripe tap to pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. The CSUN Assistive Technology Conference is held every year to show off development in assistive technology. This year, for the first time, it was held virtually, obviously. Uh, Allison has attended the conference in person for several years and attended virtually this time. Allison, I know there's so much to talk about. Uh, What are a couple of the highlights you saw there? Yeah, let me cover all accessible technology in, I don't know, what do you think, seven minutes? Sound good? Right. Um, So this conference I've been going to, like you said, for a real long time. Steve and I have gone to it, and we normally do a lot of video interviews on the show floor. Because it's virtual, uh, as press, I was able to go to a lot of the sessions, and it's still ongoing even as we speak. And it's been fantastic being able to attend the sessions that you want to go to, uh, being done in a virtual environment. Before I get into that, though, let me back up a little bit. This thing is four days long and it's only $425. That's for a conference for four days. That's really, really uh, inexpensive. Um, there's extra money if you want to go to pre-conference workshops, but the exhibit hall is always free. So if you're in the Southern California area, it's worth going to this and just playing around in the ex- exhibit hall and seeing all the amazing toys that they have. And they they cover uh, everything, uh, visual, hearing, mobility, cognitive impairments. I've learned a lot more about cognitive impairments than I knew before just from going to this. A um, couple of the cool things, I'll just pick two. I went to a couple of sessions on Section 508. This is the government regulation that says that all government services have to be accessible. Well, one of the the things the government then has to do is they have to be able to test their own websites, for example, to make sure that everything is is accessible. And they've built a tool called Andy, A-N-D-I, and I can provide a link to that if you want it. It's uh, It's a bookmarklet that you put into your browser and it runs on all the browsers, even Internet Explorer. And uh, 
when you go to a website, you just click that button and it shows you for all these different categories what isn't accessible on the site. Like uh, there's an image that doesn't have an alt tag or there's a button that doesn't have uh, doesn't have a description or low contrast. And the low contrast stuff is super hard to do. I've worked really hard on my site to get it. I've got everything that I can change. There's something in my theme I can't change. Um, but it's really hard because it says low contrast or you don't meet the contrast standards. It's like, okay, just tell me what numbers to type in. What do I do to make that red be the right red on pink or, huh. or does it have to be red on white? What do I got to do? This tool actually tells you, consider using this and you'll be able to meet the double A standards for. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. And it, it, the, the tool highlights what's, what's missing. Um, I ran it just on a lark. I ran it on uh, iMore and I discovered that they had um, wrapped their, um, uh, this main navigation bar that has search and links to the top level topics. The whole thing was in a in a, uh, a an element called uh, aria dash hidden equals true, which means the entire nav bar was hidden from screen readers. Mm-hmm. And I'm a hundred percent certain that's just a mistake. And I've contacted them. There's no way you would do that on purpose. You do that for like frivolous images that would just annoy a screen reader. Uh, you know, decorative images. Um, the other thing they did, though, is just a tool doesn't work. Those are really fast, but they don't actually uh, – you need a human to look at it. So they've created something called tr- the Trusted Tester Program where you can get certified to be a trusted tester, and then you're allowed to evaluate websites. And I think getting certified in that would be a, a great way to get a job personally. Um, I think that would be really cool. There was another session on Section 508 that was really interesting. I found out that the national national intelligence has an exemption – from 508. They're allowed to go, yeah, it's national security, so we don't have to be accessible. And they've gone back and said, yeah, no, we don't think that's the right answer to just blanketly use that as an excuse whenever we don't feel like it. So the the, the guy from the DNI, um, from the director of national Inter- intelligence office said, you know, if you don't have diversity of opinions, you get groupthink and that leads to mistakes. And we can't afford to make mistakes when we're in the business of national intelligence. That's dangerous. We have to have all the diverse opinions we we can get. So we just decided that we aren't going to do those exemptions unless like you can apply for one, but you have to go to, to the top to get exempted for that. What did they explain what the reason for wanting to be exempt in the past was? Was it speed? Was it cost? Well, it's not wanting to be exempt, but having to be exempt like there were. But I haven't I, I've been looking for the documentation on that. And I've the the presentations, the keynote presentations aren't up yet. So I want to go back and re-listen to the beginning where the guy explained it because I didn't get to write it down. Gotcha. Um, but it, it's in the it's in Section 508 that they have this exemption. So they don't have to do it, but they said, well, I'm no. I'm just wondering we, how you, Section 508 came about is, I guess, what I'm, what I'm saying. Yeah, like, there's why, a lot why of Why did they pieces. even give them the exemption in the first place? But it sounds like that, that wasn't addressed directly. It wasn't, it wasn't clear to me yet. Um, but another thing went into place, two executive orders, 13163 and 13548, put in by Clinton and Obama, uh, called for 100,000 more people with disabilities to work in government. And so all of a sudden, this floodgate of people with disabilities are brought in well, you darn well better have everything accessible. And this presentation was probably the best recruiting video I've ever seen for an organization because they had a, a woman at a PhD who's been blind since birth. And she just talked about how, like, 
I have never felt like anything about my dis- disability held me back. The uh, reasonable accommodations always taken care of. She gave advice on improvements that she saw that would be possible. There was another guy who was um, was able most of his life, and he was working there. He started as a co-op, but then he had a stroke, and he lost, uh, like he he described it as half of his brain. And so he ended up as, you know, later on in life, getting the advantages of the uh, the changes that had happened. And he said, you know, I, I get to, he's running part of this uh, disability effort and accessibility effort. And he said, I go to work every day, just so excited. And I feel like we're actually at the stage where we're putting that last piece of the puzzle into place. That's how good we're doing at this. It was, it was really, really exciting. Well, I, I'm so glad you took the time to to go to that that session uh, and 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 come on the show and talk about that because we've had several people write us in the past about the fact that there were certain parts of the government sometimes they didn't know it was the intelligence service who were exempt uh, from from the standards. So it's good to know that the agency itself looks at it and says like, yeah, that's not even in our own best interest to be exempt from the yeah. standards. Yeah, and that, that's that's, that's when you get really good at this stuff is when you realize it's a competitive advantage. Yeah, yeah. Not oh, it's nice to these poor people. It's like, no, I'm going to win if I do this. My, I'm going to tell an anecdote I may have told on the show before, but I did a talk uh, years ago called um, How to Improve your, or Increase Your Audience Size Through Accessibility. And I went through and I explained things like putting alt tags and not using audio only cap- or visual only captions on your website. When I finished, this is like 15 years ago, when I finished, this guy came up to me and he said, Allison, I run the Section 508 website for the United States government. And I didn't know about visual only captures. I had wow. three of them on our main page and I took them off because of your talk. And there's two sides of that. It's awesome. Allison told him where was his training? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Well, it sounds like they're turning that around now, which is great. Thanks, oh, for, yeah. thanks again, for doing 15 that. 15 years ago. Yeah. It was really, really interesting. Plus a million other things. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> which I will be talking about on the no silicast this week. Uh, well, if you, I don't know, you're a person who likes to think about years past, you might miss your handspring or perhaps your palm handspring visor. Maybe you wish it was part of your modern life, but how could it be? Well, Gizmodo passed along a tweet from our new hero, Jorge Cohen, who has Twitter running on his Palm OS device using its hot sink cradle. He tweeted, I, I... I think I built a Twitter client for Palm OS. <laughs> and he has video showing proof. Oh, he did. He also said, it's kind of buggy. But hey, this was a device released back in 1999. So give Jorge... A round of applause. Oh, man, that's great. Uh, The handspring visor, if everybody doesn't remember, was the one that had cartridges that you could plug into the back to expand its functionality. uh, And they were eventually bought by Palm. uh, (laughs) Hence the the Palm uh, handspring visor reference there as well. But uh, yeah, I used to use AvantGo to bring over certain headlines onto my handspring visor, then jump on the 16X to take the bus downtown uh, to go to work. And I would read the news. Um, I thought it was amazing because I was reading the news while I was away from home on yeah. my on my handspring visor. Uh, this is the opposite. This is I can get Twitter <laughs> on my handspring visor, but it does have to sit in the cradle. You can't take it anywhere <laughs> if you want to do that. That video was awesome. It's so great. It. Yeah. yeah, it's like, it works. The buggy, sure, but works. <laughs> I wish I still had my handspring visor. I'd give it a shot. It's one of the one of the things I never kept 
Aww. got rid of it. I mean, and that's saying a lot for you. I know. Yeah, everything else is still here except for that. <laughs> I have my Palm Edge still sitting around here somewhere. Uh, anyway, uh, that that's cool. Uh, go check that out. We'll have the link in the show notes. Let's get to the mailbag. A few folks have asked in various places about the energy consumption of cryptocurrencies in relation to this week's episode of Know a Little More, which is about the blockchain. Uh, first, blockchain and crypto mining are not the same thing. So the energy usage question doesn't particularly apply to blockchain so much as applications of the blockchain, like mining. A blockchain itself doesn't use any energy. It's usually the mining that is associated with proof of work or proof of stake. That's where you get the energy consumption. Second, I have seen lots of conflicting information from people who are very sure they're right, uh, that it either does or does not use uh, an, uh, a, a not okay amount of energy. Uh, and this is this, this issue is rife for exploiting by multiple angles on the issue. So I am waiting to see a really rigorous analysis from a couple of sources, not even just one, but a couple of sources that I know and trust before I form a solid opinion. So those who've been asking like, hey, could you address this? Why haven't you addressed this in the blockchain? I don't address it with blockchain because it doesn't really apply there. And I haven't addressed it elsewhere because I'm still waiting on for the good analysis out there to be done that says, oh, yeah, no, this seems like what's really going on with it. Well, if you have feedback for anything that we talk about on the show, anything we might talk about in our future show, please send it to us. Feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. Thank you in advance. We'd like to shout out patrons at our master and our grandmaster levels, including Erwin Sturr, Pat Sheeran, and John Atwood. Also, big thanks to our brand new boss, Mitchell. We see you, Mitchell. He just started backing us on Patreon. Thank you so much, boss. Also, thanks to Rob Dunman. Lots of thanks today. Rob, what's going on in your world? Um, you always can check me out um, with my partners over at the SMR Podcast. And it, you, know, you can reach that at just smrpodcast.com. And uh, we are doing much less produced talking about tech over there <laughs> to a couple of other guys that uh, Allison discovered, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. <laughs> Uh, speaking of Allison, Allison Sheridan, thank you so much for being with us and letting us know what you've been up to. Where can people keep up with more of your work? Well, uh, they can always find me at podfeed.com, but I want to give a special shout out to Steve Sheridan. We have been married for 38 years as of today. Could not do what I do without him. Oh, that's adorable. Congratulations. Congratulations to you both. That is something special. Hasn't killed me yet. (laughs) Hey, folks, uh, we have a Spanish language version of Daily Tech News Show uh, hosted by Dan Campos. So if you speak Spanish and you'd like to hear a weekly roundup of the tech headlines in Spanish, maybe you know somebody who only speaks Spanish and they're like, yeah, I don't know where to go for tech news. Go to uh, to, uh, Noticias de Tecnología Express. Uh, and you can look it up under NTX uh, or that in your podcast episode. Danos cinco minutos y te daremos las noticias más importantes en el mundo de la tecnología o te devolvemos tu dinero. Escucha Noticias de Tecnología Express disponible en español. We are live Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. And as of Monday, 2030 UTC, change those calendars if you haven't already and find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Tom is out Monday, but we have Rich filling in for him and we'll talk to you then. 
This week's episodes of Daily Tech News Show was created by the following people. Host, producer, and writer, Tom Merritt. Host, producer, and writer, Sarah Lane. Executive producer and booker, Roger Chang. Producer and writer, Rich Straffolino. Video producer and Twitch producer, Joe Kuntz. Associate producer, Anthony Lemos. Spanish language host, writer, and producer, Dan Campos. News host, writer, and producer, Jen Cutter. Social media producer, Shannon Morse. Our mods, Beatmaster, W. Scott is one. Zoe Brings Bacon, BioCow, Captain Kipper, and Jack Shit. Moderation and video hosting by Dan Christensen. Video feed by Sean Way. Music provided by Martin Bell and Dan Luters. Acast ad support from Tim Ruggieri. Patreon support from Stefan Brown. Contributors for this week's show include Patrick Beja, Scott Johnson, and Rob Dunwood. Guests on this week's show include Nate Langson and Allison Sheridan. And live art performed by Len Peralta. Thanks to everybody who makes the show possible. is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.